Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So, you know, a really a really simple question. Who's uh by by show of hands, who's who's running on all sin, all cylinders? Who uh Whose persona, yes, you in the audience, I'm talking to you, are you, uh, are you fully functional? You got all your uh, ducks in a row? Here's a question for you. The vision that your soul had for you in this lifetime are you on a trajectory that will really truly honor that? I mean, how how do you even measure that metric? It's almost like um so so many times people get uh stuck um as life in the fast brain. Their brain is like 99.999% of their consciousness as they go throughout their day, life in the fast brain, 100% ego, all ego, all the time. And for your soul to have, you know, the steering wheel to work, you got to create space for it. You got to, you got to open up your persona. You got to open up your persona. Of course, you don't have to, but When your soul can really, truly have a dynamic and mutually respected relationship with your mind, then your life trajectory, I suggest, changes 100% of the time. I never saw myself a writer. My soul tells me to write books. I'm like, what the hell? My soul tells me to have a spiritual podcast and like 12 years ago, I'm like, what the hell? And had I stayed in my mind, none of these things would have happened. Had I stayed in my mind, I would have been in, in this rational, linear trajectory, kind of like a rock rolling down a hill. I mean, you can look away and pretty much know what's going to happen because the rock's going to be doing more of the same. Nothing new, more of the same. Well, I'm, I'm stoked about tonight's episode. The topic tonight is chakras and the vagus nerve, and our guest tonight is C.J. Llewellyn. We're going to bring her on in just a minute. I, um, this is going to be a... A, a very interesting show. I'm I'm excited to hear what she has to say. But what I'm getting at is uh, when we grow when we grow up, hopefully we, we've done at least some of that. Our psyches can have um, stout karmic stigmas imprinted in on our own psyche and these imprints these karmic imprints in our psyche can collapse possibilities collapse probabilities and yet fast forward a few decades and if you were to sit somebody down and say okay list all these subconscious karmic stigmas you have in your persona well, by the very nature of subconscious, oftentimes our mind, our ego, is not even aware that we have these subconscious karmic momentums, if you will, trajectories, karmic trajectories, if you will. The ego always loves to choose choices that keep it safe. And and that right there can severely limit the soul's ability to have 
say to have sway in your everyday life. I think we should get to it because um, there's going to be a lot to talk about. Again, the topic is is the name of C.J. Llewellyn's latest book, Chakras and the Vagus Nerve. Tap into the healing combination of subtle energy and your nervous system. The vagus nerve sends messages between your brain, heart, and digestive systems. And with the help of your seven chakras, it can be a psychological and spiritual system of healing. Trauma therapist C.J. Llewellyn shows you how to harness this power to heal your past and clear your body of intense reactions that no longer served you, allowing you to access the compassionate energy of your inner light. When you understand your wiring, you can identify the information your nervous system is sending and working and work towards claiming it. This book reveals the psychological dimensions each of our chakras hold and why you may be hurt physically after experiencing trauma, though more than 20, through more than 20 exercises and journal prompts, you can release that pain instead of running from it and focus on healing your mind, body, and soul. Our guest tonight is a licensed professional counselor and marriage and family therapist. Her passion is combining the psychological, physical, and spiritual to heal trauma and facilitate personal and spiritual growth in her clients. CJ serves as an internal family systems therapist and is certified in EMDR processing and training in energy psychology. She is also a Reiki master and intuitive. You can learn more at her webpage, cjlewellen.com. That would be c-j-l-l-e-w-e-l-y-n.com. Join me in welcoming CJ to the show. CJ, it's so nice to have Hi. you on the show. Thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate this, Les. Well, let's get off in the weeds. Okay. I always like to... Where do you, uh, which weeds do you want to start in? <laughs> <laughs> well, we've all had plenty of normal. Let's go to Abby normal. Now, the, the uh, I like to get definitions so we know what we're talking about before we start talking about. Now, the, mm-hmm. the, vag, the vagus nerve might not roll off of people's tongues, including myself. Um, first of all, what is that? The vagus nerve is uh, part of your autonomic nervous system. And it's your wiring, the simple, really simplified term is, it's a, it's a wiring system that's kind of monitoring safety in your system. And it's constantly communicating from your brain down through all aspects of your body, your major organs. It's sending signals up and down your system, sending uh, messages of safety and in some ways sending the messages of what to do. Uh, in regards to how the system is interpreting safety. There are three branches of this nerve, and the branches are, um, this this is all, by the way, based on polyvagal theory, uh, Stephen Porges' polyvagal theory. So if anybody wants to do a deep dive on his work, uh, you can just look up many of his writings and books and his research. So the, there are three states that the branches uh, register within our body. They are constantly registering. They're so integrated into how we are operating in our world. uh, And they are there again, like I said, to keep us safe. The, The first state that I like to start with is the ventral vagal. 
that is the, 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 the state of safety. So when we are engaged in our ventral vagal activity, in our vagus nerve, we are feeling safe. What that allows us to do as mammals is communicate with others. That allows us that state of safety to hear people, to have a slower heart rate, to breathe deeper, to look people in the eye. We then can read signals from other people's faces uh, that register safety or not, you know, lack of safety. Uh, smiling, listening, seeing the voice, the tone of voice, the heart rate, the rate, the beat between beats in our hearts are all registering safety. When we think about our spiritual experiences, we're, we're engaging in safety first. We don't think of spirituality as safety. But if we, our bodies are not safe, we cannot engage in a spiritual process. Um, so safety is the first state. The second state, the sympathetic we hear that a lot, sympathetic nervous system, is a state of mobility. It, it aligns with that, should I run or should I fight, that fight or flight that we talk about a lot. That is that state that's registering, what do I do? All of a sudden, we went from talking and laughing and feeling safe and me listening to you to that noise that registered the screeching brakes or the siren registered a lack of safety, our bodies, before we can even perceive it, our bodies are responding differently. Um, we are reading the situation. We are reading the room differently because our bodies are trying to register. We need to get out of there. Um, mobility is not always bad because mobility is also play. We need mobility in our lives to engage as well. And so the third branch, the third state of our vagus nerve is immobility. That is our dorsal vagal. That, that's the dorsal vagal portion of the nervous system. That is our shutdown nerve. That is the, we have been in a state in our body of fight or flight for so long. We have been in this high level of anxiety, of stress, because of whatever's going on, that our body will start saying, okay, we're going to start conserving energy here, and it's going to start slowing us down, shutting us down. And it may look like a lot of different things. It may look like uh, one, of the, one of the aspects of uh, traumatized people is heavy dissociation, um, not really being in the room, even though we physically look like we're in the room. So a dissociative state it could look like um, the vet that wets its pant, his pants, his or her pants, running into battle because our natural inclination in our nervous system is to keep us safe, but our training, military training, makes us run into danger. And so sometimes that dorsal vagal, that immobilized portion of our branch of our vagus nerve, will shut us down. It will quite literally release our bowels. It will release our digestive system. Or sometimes it tightens it up. So these three states are within our system, and they are constantly sending signals up and down, back and forth. Are we safe? What are the signals around us? How do we read them? When a person has experienced trauma, when a person has particularly experienced trauma growing up, and maybe that trauma is very confusing trauma, so maybe the trauma has more to do with emotional manipulation more than what we consider, you know, physical traumas, which were obviously very, very traumatic. But um, their, their gauges are off once they get into the adult world because what might have registered as safety with, with people who are not traumatized might register as danger to them because they can't discern, their system can't discern. Or what might register as danger for others, they might not register because to them, that level of intensity, that level of uh, shouting, violence, whatever, uh, may register as normal. So it is a spiritual nerve, believe it or not, 
uh, we need to gauge our system in order for us to access our soul, in order for us to access those, that, that higher, wiser light within us, we need to be able to discern and to engage with that, this very human dichotomy. Um, I, will, I will pause and let you ask another question because I could talk the whole hour this way. <laughs> Well, so safety, mobility, and immobility. So this is like a this is like a body intelligence then. Uh, Absolutely, um, that's perfect terminology for that. Yes. And and what I'm gathering from this is that um, it's a body intelligence, but it also can be heavily skewed or imprinted by traumatic events. Yes. That that I don't, I don't know if I would uh, it learns from or or develops a reactive pattern to that um, mm-hmm. might serve us in the moment, but if we don't recognize that we've taken on this reactive behavior once the stimulus or trauma has left, it sits and runs in the background in a protective mode, even though the reactive pattern no longer serves us. Yes, yes, that's a really good summation. So it's like our spyware, <laughs> you know, or is that accurate, the spyware? You know, the, the things that run in the background of our computer that are constantly, you know, looking for and, and working that we may not notice, but they are there and developing an awareness around it, developing compassion around it. Because just like you were, you know, you were summarizing, what happens is we look like we're having an emotional reaction, but we may be actually having a biophysiological reaction to something. And so what I see when clients come to me is they may think they're just, you know, they have intense emotions when they might actually have intense responses and interpretations to the events around them. Do you think and, the emotion? Do you think the emotional response and the response of the vagus nerve are intertwined? Because you're saying that the client describes it as an emotional reaction, so they're noticing an emotional component, and you're talking about the the vagus nerve having a a reactive pattern. Are the emotions the client is feeling and the reactive pattern of the vagus, are they, what generates what? I mean, does the vagus nerve's uh, reactive pattern create the emotion that the client feels? Um, the vagus nerve is not the emotion and the emotion is not the vagus nerve, but both are, in, both are sort of intertwined. You know, we're complex. Um, so interpretations of, let's say, abandonment. Let's say you were neglected as a child, you know, developmental trauma, right? Um, interpretations of somebody not listening. I'm sorry, Bring up. It's somebody not listening, you know? I, somebody, if, a, if an adult... That was a joke. Oh, oh. <laughs> sorry, I'm on my roll here, Les. <laughs> I'll be quiet. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. Keep going. No, that's quite all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and I never know if it's like, oh, did my mic just get out? <laughs> did the wiring in my mic just go? <laughs> um, so, you know, let's just say, for instance, someone who's, who has been neglected as a child suddenly interprets as an adult someone not listening. That impacts an awareness in their system, oh, no, Right, because the, the best summation I can give for trauma is that you are in the present, but your past is there. So you cannot discern in certain moments if your past is present. And so what happens is perhaps that person feels some sense of uh, anger, annoyance, that this person is not listening to them, but their response is far more intense than the situation calls for, then we are definitely getting into some biophysiological responses there because that information has been stored perhaps over time, you know, decades of being neglected, ignored, um, 
and so this one moment where someone is not listening to someone else um, feels a lot more heightened than it should be. That's, a, that's sort of an example of how we get our nervous system, how we're defining this moment of someone not being present to someone who needs to be heard uh, and the reaction as something that is far more than just emotion. Emotion has within it, I like to say it's, it's, just, it's more of a, of a soul experience. Emotion, even the deep ones, even the ones that are complex, like uh, loss, you know, the emotions that come, all the emotions that come of loss, those are softer, even when they're harder, <laughs> even when they're deeper uh, and right. deep within us. They're softer than some of those physiological, those, you know, biophysiological responses we get that are interpreted as, well, here we go again, here comes this thing. And we can feel those very intensely in our system. So the the vagus nerve can be um, um, conditioned from past traumatic events and develop a strategy or a preferred reaction. And then as we interact with others, that can get triggered even though we don't recognize it at a conscious level. And yeah. the, re, the re response of that is... To an outside observer, the the reaction is um, exaggerated or out of context with what was actually being um, interacted or exchanged with each other, and well, that that's a curious thing. So, can the can the imprinting of the vagus nerve be? I'm, I know in the book you give an example of a daughter in a car that gets in a wreck and her mother passes and it really mm -hmm. strongly imprints in her psyche. And, and that's a very traumatic single event, but it's extremely traumatic. What about um, the uh, more subtle things where maybe your parents always interrupted you when you went to talk and, and you couldn't um, express your opinion. And even though each event is not uh, an intense traumatic thing, can subtle imprinting over a span of time create reactive patterns in the vagus nerve? Everything in our lives is being programmed in. And again, it's that human part of us, right? It's the human wiring. So yes, absolutely. This is where I'm going to, um, I, don't, I don't know if you're ready for it, but I'm going to lead that into the Bring chakra it. energy as well. Bring, Bring it. it. <laughs> so this is where we, this is where I have seen as a trauma therapist, which by the way, uh, there are modalities. Trauma therapists have modalities to shift the messaging within the vagus nerve to clear a lot of those trauma reactions. But I have seen your example of the parent that's constantly interrupting uh, a child. And so this child grows up and may feel an intensity and a tenseness, perhaps in their throat chakra, that also is applying to that ventral vagal activity within their, their nervous system, right? So there's some messaging that that, that is in shown you know, your voice doesn't matter or however that child has interpreted it and then how it out, you know, it interplays throughout life. Um, so both become constricted. The energy centers, the way I see them, are extensions of each other. To me, how I have worked over the years is that one is connected to the other. Um, one we can see, one is very tangible, one week, and, and thank goodness, science has been able to really, you know, the polyvagal theory, Stephen Porges' work, it's really been able to sort of, uh, in its own way, measure and engage what's happening in our nervous system. But as I would see this align with the issues of my clients, it was aligning directly with the chakras. Uh, and as you said, I'm a Reiki master too, and I've spent years... Uh, um, uh, studying yoga um, and 
just kind of have that intuitive knowledge of them. Well, now we've brought a, a, a new term. We've talked about chakras many times on this show, but I want to get your interpretation. I mean, if you were to describe to a, a person that had no clue what a chakra was, as far as its behavior, is it like a portal between our consciousness and the outside world, or is it a lens we look through? I mean, how would you describe a chakra? The way I see them, and I don't, you know, I think that yogis through the years have had their own vocabulary around this. Uh, you know, you hear a lot of <clears throat> yogis, sorry, we have a lot of um, pollen going on right now where I live, <clears throat> so I'm clearing my throat. Um, you know, I think, you know, you know, the prana, right, the, the energy of life, the soul, soul energy, I believe, extends outward. Um, it expresses through the vagus nerve, right, while the vagus nerve is doing its very human aspect of keeping us alive and interpreting and expresses outward uh, in this way as well. Yeah, sort of like uh, fuses in an old home, right? It's sending uh, information, well, probably back and forth, um, outward and back in. And the information has more etheric qualities to it, but all the information that we receive that even gets stored in the vagus nerve has you know, its energy, its messaging, its meaning, right? Um, so I think there's a lot of interplay going on here, but we see people in the spiritual realms only looking at the chakras of systems. We see people in the clinical realms only looking at the nervous system of systems. And, you know, part of my book is, I think it's about time we start looking at the integration of these two systems. I see them interplay all the time using that throat chakra as an example. I say that a lot, by the way. That, that seems to be an energy that gets constricted a lot when I start working with people in their, their childhood traumas, particularly uh, that belief that they, you know, that, that belief that they have no voice. And over time, the interplay with the nervous system, the vagus nerve, and the throat chakra becomes very strong as well. So, and I see that also um, in the book, I'm trying not to get too geeky with my trauma processing here. In the book, I break these aspects down. I, I see this, the, um, and they're, they're not too different from what, are, what we already know uh, through thousands of years. They're not too different, uh, the chakra energy, the dimensions, the psychological dimensions as to what we already know. But I see them interplaying, for instance, with uh, survival. Um, so I see some of the lower chakras. I see the root chakra, the sacral chakra, and even the solar plexus. You were talking earlier about the identity and the ego. Um, and it's, it's probably part of the human conundrum, right? We live, in a, we live in a dichotomous experience because we're experiencing being human. And where in the heck did our soul go anyway? Oh, it's here. Right. It's just under these <laughs> layers of experiences we're having on this earth plane, right? But some of the, uh, the trauma that gets stored in our system is early childhood traumas I've seen in the so-called lower chakras. By the way, I think that these are some of the most important chakras because this is where the healing takes place. Um, but I, I, my clients may uh, hold implicit memories in these, these areas of their body that we work through. Implicit meaning it doesn't have that explicit, that chronological memory of, oh, when I was three, this happened. When I was seven, this happened, and this person and this person in that time. It has experience held in there, perhaps when they were too young to have, the, the brain hadn't come online yet for explicit memory, and they're holding on to these memories. They're just being stored in these lower portions of their chakras that are talking about survival, talking about attachment, talking about identity as we start branching out and individuating, you know, as we get older, we start pushing back against our parents because we're starting to understand that we are uh, our own person. So I call those the essential chakras because that's where the healing takes place. That's where I end up doing a lot of the deeper processing. That's where I see the messaging coming out naturally 
um, you mentioned earlier about how I don't actually say, oh, that is your such-and-such chakra or your so-and-such chakra, because trauma processing is about the experience, processing out the experience. The meaning is made later. We talk about it later. We use words later, um, depending on the modality. But in the midst of it, it is extremely somatic because that, this is where the memories are stored. They're stored in our system. Um, our body is that, that shield that keeps, keeps us alive. Um, and so they reveal themselves very similarly in the psychological dimensions of these chakras. You mentioned earlier a heavy disassociation where the person's not literally fully in the room. When, when you observe that in the client, um, so, so the person has, has uh, disassociated themselves with their immediate environment. How, um, how do I ask this? The, their ego is, uh, would, that, would their ego be running some kind of a, a non-relevant monologue and the vagus nerve is kind of... Uh, running the rodeo, so to speak? I mean, because when you say heavy disassociation, the the consciousness is not present through the senses, through the chakras, with the immediate environment, because there's something going on to disconnect them. How, how so, does the... How does the ego um, perceive that? I mean, when the client's right there and they're disassociated... Um, they're probably not aware that they're doing that. How how do you see them experiencing that? uh, Well, I would use different language in this case, that ego is not quite as overly simplified as we think it is, because ego is identity. Ego is is how we we perceive ourselves in the world. I'm also internal family systems trained. Um, So how we identify in the world has multiple factors to it multiple identities to it and there's nothing wrong with like right now you are identifying yourself as the spiritual podcast i'm identifying myself as this trauma therapist who wrote this book that i'm sharing with you um nothing wrong with that um it it's it's part of how we are engaging in the world in regards to that around dissociation identity can get all sorts of twisted around, again, when we've had early childhood trauma. So our bodies, our neurobiology, does things to keep us safe. Our awareness might get numbed over time. There's a spectrum of dissociation. Uh, we all have it on some level. I don't know about you, but after a long day, I love to, you know, putting my feet up and doing some Netflix or YouTubing. <laughs> You know, oh, like, I'm done with the world for the day. I want to just sit here and listen to this thing. You know, the, the, or, or how's this one when we drive home and all of a sudden we realize, oh, I don't remember the road. You know, our hippocampus is like kicked in and we are just following the path we've always known. So, so we all have, and I don't want to pathologize dissociation. It can get into aspects that are very hard for the person to manage life with. Um, But we all have some form of it. Um, um, it's, it's, It's when the dissociation becomes severe, it's a, it's a, it's a survival technique within the body. It's, it's, Complicated in that it can be a neurobiological function, right? It's a, it's a function of our nervous system. It's a function of the meaning that the brain is making depending upon the situation. Are we safe or are we not? Um, it, it, it can look so different. I have clients that I've sat with. When I first work with clients, there's a lot of education that goes on around trauma. We just don't go in and extract. You know, we don't just rip open Pandora's box. Um, There's a ton of education that helps the client normalize what's occurring within them. So some clients will, you know, when we get into the conversation about dissociation, what it looks like, 
I'm asking them what it looks like for them. And as they're able to sort of identify, they can say, well, they're out of their body right now. So they still have a form of connection to what's happening in the room, but it might feel fuzzy for them. So they're still aware. Um, Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they lose time and reference points because they're that far out of their body. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, that's kind of what I'm getting at, though. I mean, what you said is relevant to what I'm um, asking is uh, a lot of times we we carry um, imprinting in our psyche, traumas, whatever. And like you said, uh, it's not like we, we have a, a, a running list of them and we're consciously aware of them. A lot of times the, uh, the imprinting, as I call it, um, happens when we're not even uh, – time isn't even relevant to us as a kid or whatever. So as a listener to the show, is there a – I mean, can I sprinkle flour on the kitchen floor to see if I've been sleepwalking? How can I discern through my own consciousness if I have the subconscious um, disassociation mechanisms active if I'm not aware of them? Well, that's part of the education is being able to understand Um, what your particular patterns are. And that's the work that a lot of people do with trauma therapists. We get into assessing what someone's uh, dissociative patterns are. Um, They get to to then choose how to safely uh, reintegrate back into their body. They get to choose um, oh, I want my, uh, I want to carry my uh, essential oils around with me. I want to tap through this. So, so it's, we can be sometimes very aware of the dynamic. Sometimes we need language around something to even know what's occurring, if that makes sense. Well, that's, um, what, I, that's what I was getting at. It's like uh, t- to see a, tr- a trauma ther- uh, therapist, they would need to know that they're having a tr- traumatic ex- um, imprinting. Um, mm-hmm. And and so if they're not aware of that, I mean, I guess what I'm looking for is um, what are some of the signs that you might be having react uh, traumatically reactive patterns that you're you're not aware of? To, to even know that you'd want to seek out uh, a, tra- a trauma therapist. Gotcha. So if you've had trauma, there's generally some pattern or understanding. Generally, what you're struggling with is your present-day experiences, right? Uh, there, you're, you're having problems maybe with interpersonal relationships, with sleeping, um, you Some things are not working for you anymore. Some of those survival techniques that you utilized, and I keep referencing more early childhood stuff, but some of those things, those survival techniques that you utilized are no longer working for you. Those are generally, when we see people, we're seeing them because they've sort of, you know, um, they can't resolve this themselves and they might be on their last leg, depends on the person. Sometimes people come in because everything else in their life has fallen apart. Or some people come in because they're wanting a little bit of understanding before everything falls apart. So, so something in someone's life they're struggling with usually by the time they get to us. Um, and there's certain awareness that they may have around some things that aren't working. And maybe they do have some of those memories of childhood. Um, that's that's usually when we we start seeing uh, seeing them, you know, coming to a trauma therapist. The coping mechanisms no longer work. Let's put it that way. Right. So, uh, with your uh, Reiki background and that intuitive element, um, how does how how does their chakras change when they heal? I mean, 
what what does a, a block chakra or whatever you want to call it and a healthy chakra I mean how does that change their experience as far as so say they have a stigma in their root chakra and their connection with earth and their their purpose or permission to be on the planet is compromised and the chakra is blocked and then they turn around they open that up I mean What's the before and the after as far as a stuck chakra and an open chakra? Well, and I think that it's not sort of an either-or situation, right? I think that that flow of our energy in our body as a whole is representative by what uh, information patterns are stored, right? Um, So if there's pain within the system, once we are able to process it out, uh, once we are able to clear out the traumatic responses that are in the nervous system, then the chakras just sort of automatically do do the thing. I'll have clients report suddenly that the pain that they felt in their their stomach, you know, the the um, the sacral chakra, the pain that they had in that stomach when we were processing these issues with, uh, you know, their mother, uh, early childhood experiences with their mother, suddenly seems to dissipate. So the correlation is we've cleared out some of the old patterns that were attachment wounds, right? Um, Try not to get too psychobabbly here, but attachment wounds being those early childhood, how we attached, how we connected with with our caretakers. So as we're clearing that out, that energy just automatically begins to flow. Um, you know, the, the, the sense of openness, the sense of boundaries, by the way, because our chakras can be too open, too. You know, staying with the theme of the, the sacral chakra in regards to attachment and connection, um, I've seen clients with serious, like, codependent, I've got to fix this, it's on me, uh, there's no emotional boundaries between them and other people, have wide open energies in here that are too open so as they start to heal that they start to establish boundaries i talk about that in the book that energy begins to take um a more um trying to find the right word here um you know just just healthy uh flow it's not wide open it's not you know bleeding energy it's it's got a flow to it. It's got some containment. It's got some, some boundaries in healthy ways. So it's not it's not um, uh, excessive rushing energy. It's it's uh, its cadence has a more natural demeanor to it. Yes, yeah, I like that, that terminology. Yes, absolutely. Um, and that is my experience. You know, as a trauma therapist, it's, it's like it's an inside-out job. Um, and I am a Reiki master. I see energy. I feel energy. I, um, um, I don't believe it's an outside-in. I love energy. I love how we are just dynamic in the world with it. But I think when you're getting into the deeper uh, struggles around how we are gauging our safety, right, through our vagus nerve and our organs and our, how our brain is perceiving, it's, it's inside out. And that's what's going to shift the energy. That's what's going to uh, shift the the flow of the chakras and and extend it outward into the world as well. Nice. So, um, how do you how do you work with the uh, vagus nerve as far as um, I guess healing these uh, traumatically and uh, um, triggered uh, reactive patterns. I mean, it, it, if it's a body intelligence, how do you um, reprogram or unprogram the dysfunctional traumatic habitual patterns? So there are <clears throat> a couple of modalities that I work with. You you read those off in the intro. Hold on, I'm taking a quick sip of water here. Um, The one modality that really came online um, in the 90s was eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And Francine Shapiro, who developed 
this modality was curious because she noticed, wow, when I'm thinking about this certain thing, my eyes are going back and forth just like they do in REM sleep. I wonder, (laughs) you know, if we could engage that eye movement and help process things out of our system. Because, you know, those times we go to bed, we got a problem, we wake up, the problem is solved. And so that developed a whole modality with the use of back and forth movement with the eyes. And since then, it's really burgeoned. It's, it's um, that eye movement desensitization has gotten into all sorts of different ways of helping people with their system. At the time, we knew, wow, it worked. Now, thanks to polyvagal theory, we know why it works. Um, when, so I use eye movement desensitization reprocessing, EMDR. Uh, uh, why it works is because when the eyes are doing what they do during REM sleep, that back forth, back forth, kind of up, down, back forth, it's moving portions of the vagus nerve. It is stimulating blood flow through the rest of the system. It is working the system around a particular thing. You know, we do this when we're dreaming. In EMDR, we develop a protocol around maybe a particular target of of a, a trauma. And we process that out. The, the eyes movement, the back and forth movement, actually generates a sense of safety in the system as you're combining it with a memory of a lack of safety. And so, again, there's a lot of steps that go ahead of this. We're not just going to go in there and rip open, you know, Pandora's box. But that, that ability to be able to maintain connection to this really horrible thing that happened to you while you're going through that bilateral stimulation and processing it out is really, truly miraculous. There's other modalities around it as well, but that one specifically utilizes the movement of the vagus nerve to process that out. Um, so that, that is one of the modalities that's, that's just over the years, like I said, it's just burgeoned. I mean, we have like a million EMDR therapists in the world now, um, to help people because it's, it's, it's a proven, effective way to work with clearing out, clearing out the system. Nice. Well, now, who did you write this book for? So, um, and I actually probably will go back in and, and write. I, wanna, I do want to write a book specifically geared toward clinicians about this. That's, that's on the way. Um, because it really speaks to a more general populace, but I've also presented at conferences to clinicians who get this. They're like, oh, my gosh, yes, yes, I see this all the time. So the book is for anybody, and I really, really made sure that the information is accessible. I don't want people to be intimidated by the nervous system. We all have one. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and the more we can um, become body aware, the more we can discern, what's happening in my system right now? Why am I wanting to do this thing? Um, the more we can help our body along and not just you know, run off and, and be reactive, so it is written mostly for the general public, but it, it, it has hopefully some validity with, you know, trauma therapists as well. Nice. Well, now, uh, my, uh, my hunch is that 2020, 2021, this karmic tsunami we've all, all gone through, have... Uh, have you noticed uh, a change or a trend in people, in the clients that you work on as a result of the, in other words, are you seeing symptoms or, or such that seem more pronounced in the last couple of years? Well, I think what I've seen now, I, you know, it's funny because when COVID hit, of course, everybody changed how they worked. I changed how I work. I, I ended up having to, right, do telehealth. I couldn't see my clients 
in my office for quite some time. Um, so I had a, I had a return. <laughs> my surge was a return of clients that I hadn't seen because it was such a traumatic event. So I, I do happen to kind of think that we've gotten a little bit more collectively, I think, a little bit more reflective, but I think that there's always a portion of the world, us as humanity, as we develop, that, that gets a little bit more responsive than, or, or I should say reactive, than wanting to respond and reflect. I think, you know, when we get so caught up in the fear of something we can't control, I think we're always going to see these people that get the double down on the fear. Right. By God, I'm going I'm to conquer this, this thing that happened one way or another. So I don't usually see those people um, because they don't usually seek out that kind of work. Um, but I, I would say in general, everybody that I'm working with has, has developed a a deeper reflection um, about life in general. I mean, that, nice. that was the blessing of COVID. You know, if there, yeah. if there was a blessing of COVID, if there's, you know, I would say that, you know, with every curse, there's a blessing. And um, I think it, it has definitely raised our awareness that that platonic, you know, life or death experience that was a, sh- a collective shared thing really brought us to a new level of I think sensitivity I hope it seems like it was the uh, the rototiller in our collective subconscious I've, I've I have found it mm-hmm. absolutely fascinating watching the the whole spectrum of reactions in people and and uh, it's been quite insightful I mean I had no idea some yeah. people were so um, in love with fear that I mean they didn't want to let go of it one iota and they almost saw it as a virtue but well now time can slip by pretty fast I want to make it's time to talk about you and your book and your services you've you've shared that you do work online with people um let the audience know how to get their book, how to connect with you. Did you work in person? I mean, tell us all about uh, your platform. So I'm currently just stuffed with clients, and and that's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing. Um, I'm not taking on new therapeutic clients right now, um, which is why I hope the Chakras and the Vegas Nerve, the book, uh, really helped people raise an awareness so that they can seek, you know, some trauma-informed therapists. Um, I, I am actually going to be doing some work uh, this fall with the SHIFT network. Um, we're going to be doing some work about around the chakras and the vagus nerve, so stay tuned for that. Um, we'll have more information that way. But, you know, for the most part right now, um, I'm playing around on social media. I'm loving doing some, I do these very basic, well, I, I don't want to say basic, sort of quick videos about how certain, you know, how trauma affects us in certain ways. This morning I did one about communication. Um, some on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, all the usuals, right? All the usual suspects. Um, I'm building out my website, so so this is going to be fun. Right now I do have a landing page, and it's got just basic information. Um, and so I would say in the next month or so, if you're really interested in just getting to my website once I build it out a little bit, um, leave me your uh, email, and I will I will be building some information and just sending out things to people. Um, they can, you can certainly connect with me on any of those social media platforms. Um, love to hear from you. Love to hear how the book is affecting people. And even if they have questions, just put them on the platforms and and, um, I'll answer them. Well, very nice. Um, CJ, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I very much enjoyed this conversation and, and you have some very good assessments of, you know, how the energy is affecting our bodies here. So thank you for your, thank you for allowing me to be on here with you tonight, Les. We've been talking with C.J. Llewellyn, and the topic tonight has been the name of her latest book, 
chakras and the vagus nerve. You know, it's, I'm no sproctologist, but um, how would you even recognize if you're walking around in public or perhaps um, like at work or uh, through um, regular interaction with people, how could you recognize someone who is living their life full out? Living their life full out. Now, that's a pretty vague term unless you have some kind of a metric to measure it, but I tell you this, uh, this, this imprinting of our psyche, whether it be subconscious uh, uh, traumatic scarring or um, the, the, like we're talking tonight, the, the, the vagus nerve developing strategies to keep us safe to um, constantly monitor our environment, if we went into a human psyche and completely and totally cleaned out, I don't know if this has ever happened, maybe Jesus or Buddha or somebody would qualify, but if if we cleared out 100% of our karmic imprinting from the past, could you recognize, could you see somebody on a regular basis and say, what's going on there? Why is that Why is that person different? Because sometimes it's, it's like with my father in World War II, his, his psyche was seared with horror for for a very long time in the uh, World War II in the Pacific, and it was quite obvious he had a tempest in his psyche. And then I would suggest a vast majority of us have um, some form of trauma or a subconscious patterning, subconscious um, repetitive reactions, if you will. And if if that's a reflection of our past showing up in the present, if that's a reflection of traumatic experiences we've had showing up in the present, sometimes there are, there are very pronounced and intense single event, and sometimes they're subtler um, not so obvious imprinting in our psyche. But what would it look like if you, if you somehow, some way, returned to complete communion, complete coherence with your heart and your soul? How would your day-to-day life change? I always like these uh, hypothetical questions because it gives us an opportunity to look at look at our lives and recognize patterns, recognize habits, recognize stigmas that don't serve us. I mean, if we just stay in our day in and day out routine, we're reinforcing a sense of normal, and that normal might be far from what is possible. Our normal might be far from what's possible if our heart and our soul had more say, if our heart and our soul had more sway in what happened moment to moment throughout our day. Well, damn, here we are at the end of the show, and here you are too. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. It's always a pleasure. I really enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to a New Human Living broadcast. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Let me ask you a question. How many times during today, this day, has your heart and soul had direct communication with you? Our egos, left unchecked, will easily consume all of our thoughts and consciousness as we go throughout the day. 
where we really are living an ego-led life. But our ego cannot even comprehend the vision our soul has for us. If you want to increase your personal power, make space throughout your day for your heart and soul to inspire you. Citizen King, The New Age of Power is a book I wrote just for that. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. I appreciate it. Until next time, thanks for listening.